You're listening to KCBP Community Radio on 95.5 FM and streaming on kcbpradio.org. This is Women of the Valley, where we examine the issues, stories, organizations, and people important to women in our community. We're your hosts, Leah Hassett and Linda Scheller. Chris Moreno and I were at the Women's March Modesto on Saturday, January 19th, 2019, along with hundreds of others. Let's hear what they had to say. My name is Carrie Bullock. Well, why are you here today, Carrie? I'm here with the League of Women Voters of Stanislaus County, and we're here uh, to help support the Women's March at Modesto. What do you hope this march will accomplish? I think that the original, the original point of the march was just to bring women together, bring communities together, and just to kind of express um, that we are not going to be overlooked and that we have um, a viable and important voice in the politics and our society. And um, I think the Women's March is just kind of a, a movement of um, a spirit of coming together. And um, I just, I love seeing the, the pink hats and uh, I love seeing women coming together, sisters, friends, neighbors, and kids. I love seeing the kids out here. So third year in yes. and I'm stoked to see uh-huh. that we're still doing it. Yeah. And the League of Women Voters does uh, what in our community? Please enlighten our listeners. Some of our main objectives are voting. Uh, we are very concerned with voter registration. Um, we are also uh, uh, kind of a check for local local governments. Um, we like to keep an eye on what our uh, constituents' legal promises, or, uh, legal promises, political promises were, uh-huh. and we want to um, also make sure that they're given a forum. So we uh, run uh, voter uh, services where we'll invite candidates to come and speak and it's a moderated forum uh, so community members get a chance to submit questions and uh, hear what uh, their uh, candidates are, are running on. Great. Thank you so much and thank you for all you do. Thank you, Linda. And why are you here today at the Women's March? I feel like here in the Central Valley we live in kind of a bubble as far as um, rights, activism, things like that go. Like if you go out to the Bay Area, things like this, like the things we're fighting for, mm-hmm. I guess they're still being fought for a national level, but like I said, the Valley really needs this kind of activism. They yeah. really, a bunch of people need to see right. that we're out here and especially different, because I see all sorts of different signs. You know, I see like the Planned Parenthood, there, we have Mo Pride here with the protect, the protect trans lives, uh-huh. things like that. Yeah. You know, there's so many women and trans women, yes. non-binary people who need these, right. <laughs> you know? Absolutely. And Planned Parenthood, I love that I see so many people here supporting that. Yeah. Planned Parenthood, oh my gosh, they're always trying to defund Planned Parenthood and nothing but good comes from there. So yeah. I'm glad to see them really represented. Yeah. <laughs> Me too, thank you. I'm sorry, I didn't catch your name. Uh, Carly, my name's Carly. <laughs> thank you, Carly. I'm thank so you. glad to and meet I'm you here, today. I'm here with Mo Fry. Excellent, so, thank, thank you. you. <laughs> Hi, I'm here with Mo Pride as well with the Central Valley Pride Center. Um, and yeah, I just want to 
provide that shade of like you know representing queer women and like rights for trans women yeah. and stuff like that I mean obviously there's like so many issues that are important like reproductive rights and mm-hmm. I don't know just like who is the president right now someone who <laughs> proudly harasses women so I think it's important to yeah. like stand up and show support and you know someone was asking my friend like why is there a march like what are we even talking about and it's Uh like how could you not know that in our world there's so many issues that women have to deal with Um, yeah so I think it's just important to be loud and Uh you know especially be a nasty woman yeah be a nasty woman good good otherwise nothing will change yeah I know and we're like conditioned to be like placating to be nice to not disrupt and just to show that like that's not what being a woman has to be about you know what I mean we can be loud and it's okay and today we will yes (laughs) so thank you also for me add like on the same subject as Maggie as they were saying yes um why do we need the march my my mother who is very much a feminist even she was looking at my sign and say, you know, well, you might be a little inflammatory, you know, when are, <laughs> what happened to, barely anything has changed. Really there, and, true. Yeah, there's been really no headway as far as like women's rights, not yeah. truly. So it's time that we become a little, you know, but I'm going to get out here. I want my sign to be seen. Yes. I want voices to be heard. Right. Very peaceful march. Very, right. you know, yeah. but yes, it's time to have these things yeah. to be, you know, to throw our signs in the air. So uh-huh. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> Hello, what's your name? I'm Tatiana. So, yeah, we're here, all of us, to support the movement, the women, the Make America Great Again with equality for all. That's it. That's what I'm here, to represent the women and the people in general. Yes. Why do you feel this is important here in our Modesto area? Well, because I feel that all this pertains to all of us here, not just a few in, 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 in the government. Or it's permeating all of us. We need to stand for our freedom, our rights, our choices. Okay. Thank you very Thank much. You. Thank you. So, what is your name? I'm John Harris. So John, why are you here at the Women's March today? Well, I want to support the women in their national movement for equality. I look forward to the day where there's 51 women senators and where women don't have to fear for their lives when they're walking down the street. Touche. Well said. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, thank you everyone for being here on a Saturday afternoon uh, for your devotion and commitment to women's rights. Uh, our next speaker is an excellent organizer. She is the leader of Mi Familia Boca and for the past two years has done a tremendous job in registering voters and getting people to vote who have never voted before. And as you heard earlier, that mattered in this past election and that's why we have Josh Harder in office. So please, everyone, give a great round of applause for Melissa Santos of Mi Familia Boba.
this is Chris Moreno with KCBP Radio, and uh, we're out here at McHenry and Briggsmore at the Women's March, uh, January 19th, and uh, I have here with me someone who uh, has brought her children to the Women's March, so I'm going to introduce her. Um, Erin Webb from Turlock, California. All right, Erin, so um, you have three children with you. Are they all yours? <laughs> yes, all three of them. All right. So um, one thing uh, that I've been asking people is why it's important for them to be here at the Women's March today. Well, it's important for me to be here because of my three girls. Um, I want them to be brought up in a world um, that values kindness and love over hate. Perfect. Perfect. So um, they have a reception down at the park. Will you be staying for any of the festivities down there? As long as my children let me stay. All right, good. Thank you, Erin. I appreciate your uh, testimony here at the Women's March. Good morning. My name is Terry Walker Dampierre. First and foremost, I would like to thank God for waking me up this morning. I'm a proud member of United Domestic Workers, UDW, home care provider. I'm here at the Women's March today because I think it's um, very good to be here to stand in solidarity. I'm here with my family and my best buddy. I've got my grandchildren here as well. So, praise God for this day. Thank you, Terry. What about you, Lydia? You got something to say? Well, also as well, thanking God for waking us up this morning and thanking God for all he's doing with us and also being a proud member of UDW here in Modesto. I am a home care provider and I am here to support the women's rights. I am happy to be here. Thank you, Lydia. We appreciate it. Hello, everybody. Thank you so much. Thanks to Patty and the organizers of the Women's March for inviting me to read a poem. This poem is a villanelle, which is a specific form. The title is Villanelle Against Silence and Not Knowing. There's a list of reasons in my bag, a thing that I don't know. My house is an enemy of the people. Look into its windows, its face. There's a violence that we swallow and try to make our own. The true North Star of justice oscillates and shifts. What do we call this city on the hill? Where's the map of this place? Check the reasons in my bag, the thing that I can't know. Are you listening to the voices? Please take this gift, the anger of non-white women whom the world casually erases by the violence that we swallow and try to make our own. In the commonwealth of cruelty, white tears would be our myth then cognitive dissonance of state violence and trauma enforced by shame. For reference, see the reasons in your bag, the terror you can't name. When we talk of women's rights, the language slides, see it drift. But your feminism is nothing if it does nothing less than embrace all those beaten by the rocks that we have swallowed and tried to make our own. Therefore, resolved, feel the anger, let it fuel your ferocity, 
The hiss of oppression in the synapses is a relentless memory trace. See the list of reasons in my bag. Name that thing that I don't know. Fight the tyrannies that I swallow and don't make them my own. Thank you very much. Welcome to Women of the Valley. I'm talking with Stella Baratlis. Thank you so much for agreeing to be interviewed today, Stella. Thanks, Linda. It's my pleasure. I'm really glad that you asked me to talk to you. What did you hope that the Women's March would accomplish? That's a great question. The Women's March is actually such a huge umbrella of social justice, and I was hoping that the Women's March, what it could accomplish was to get the public or people who are paying attention and even its participants to see that um, women's rights and feminism is not just an issue about you know women being able to vote or you know because one critique that I hear from people who don't understand what it's about is well don't you have all the rights that you you know what rights don't you have in challenging the whole endeavor. And so um, my hope is that uh, people see that the Women's March is a march that is inclusive and addresses lots of different um, axes of power um, where people are marginalized, not just women. Um, we're talking about LGBTQ, we're talking about um, people of color, we're talking about immigrants, and so the Women's March really is um, shorthand for human rights for everybody. I hope that it continues for this reason, because I think that in this regard, there still is work to do. Do you categorize this as a, a protest? Yes, I think that it is a protest against um, policies and attitudes that seem to be uh, very um, rife, um, especially after the election of um, the current president. It is a protest against that. A lot of the things that uh, folks are protesting are not new. I mean, they were they were policies in place that um, were... Um, put there before Trump was elected. Um, however, there seems to be kind of a different attitude um, or mindset that's been um, given permission to to surface and um, 
And I think that that's also something that people are protesting as well, that it's become really obvious like how devalued um, women are and how devalued um, immigrants are and how devalued um, people of color are in our society. The election of Donald Trump seems to be a flashpoint um, for all of those things because now it's just laid bare and you know stripped of any pretense of, of progress or forward movement. I loved your poem. Um, you said that you had written on intersectionality, and I wanted to ask, um, how did you write this poem, and, and why did you choose that theme? Um, well, I'm very interested in intersectionality, um, and especially right now. I mean, it's a concern that everyone needs to, to hold in their personal ethos, because, well, I guess I can explain uh, kind of the context of writing the poem. So, during this the winter break, I've been um, I've been on break from my work, but I did take a class. So um, I'm a librarian at a college, and I took a course online on institutional racism in libraries. And as part of that course, um, I did lots of reading on. You know, kind of some foundational readings on white fragility and on also intersectionality and why that is, why feminism um, fails women of color, and you know fails to account for the unique marginalization at several levels that they experience, and and the fact is that oftentimes when women, when white women who are you know we're the the uh, the institutionalized normal presence, you know, especially in the library. And so we view everything from our lens of whiteness. So I just started thinking about um, how, how crucial it is that we shift this completely and we think about um, the, the rights um, and the lives of those who are, who have like the least power in our society. And but in doing so, in having their concerns be our concerns, you know, everybody, everybody benefits. So anyway, so that was on my mind after doing this reading um, about intersectionality and uh, white supremacy in libraries. I that was um, in on my mind for writing this poem for the Women's March, and I thought that it was important to use the space um, that I had um, as a a white woman to talk about this issue at, at the Women's March in our city, especially because one critique that I've heard of the Women's March is that it's very much a, you know, uh, there's a huge white presence there. However, I must say that attending the Women's March, I, I did, I saw so many different faces and it was wonderful that uh, women of color um, queer women um, and people that um, have from traditionally marginalized communities were definitely involved in the planning and execution of the Women's March. So, um, you know, my concern about whiteness, um, you know, and whitewashing the issue, I think, is maybe, <laughs> you know, is not specific to Modesto. Let's see. So intersectionality as a concern um, 
that's what that's how it made it into my poem. I decided it was going to be all about that. Even before I read the poem at the event, I posted it on Facebook and I had a message from a fellow white woman telling me to leave out the mentions of whiteness because she thought it would be too off-putting. Oh. And so that is exactly the kind of thing, that's exactly the sort of defensive response that we need to interrogate, to mm -hmm. look at, like what, you know, sorry that you feel put out, but it is important for you to feel uncomfortable with mm -hmm. it and still to look at that. Recently, you put together a marvelous event, Words Have No Borders, that was um, held at the Congregational Church on October 20th of 2018, and I attended, and um, it was just marvelous. You had the Hmong American Writers Circle and Manny Moreno, and everyone who attended just benefited hugely from their voices and what they had to say. Could you please tell us about that event? Well, sure. Um, first of all, I'm glad that you attended and that you enjoyed yourself. That was such a special night. So the the Words Have No Borders event um, was an outgrowth of an earlier reading that we did in January 2017 called um, Writers Resist. And in 2008, you know, the, the intention was after that 2017 reading was to do one annually in January. And I was not able to do one in January 2018. And so this past year, Tom Portwood connected with me. He said, people talk about how great that reading was, the Writers Resist reading, and I think we really need something like that again. And I agreed with him, and we so we kind of set this up um, along with um, a fellow writer and Modesto citizen, um, Shannon Avila. We decided that, um, you know, based on some information that, you know, a suggestion by a dear friend, Skip Heller, who is a... Um, musician and composer, he mentioned that we should have the reading in a church because, you know, because of the notion of sanctuary and the space of sanctuary. And the theme was, um, was really relevant because of the border family separations that were, you know, so foremost in the news. Mm. And, and so anyway, we decided that the, the reading had to have a variety of voices. And so we had a poet named Evan Wright, who was a, um, who's a, a young man. Um, I, can't, I think he had just graduated from high school. And then um, we had Lillian Valley, MJC um, instructor, poet, translator, and the Hmong American Writers Circle, who so want, you know generously offered to come up from Fresno yeah. and Merced and um, and bring um, their members, especially newer, younger members of their group who are in the um, MFA program at Fresno State. Um, and so, yeah, it was. Oh, and and something that I was really excited about. Um, I invited um, a tutor at Modesto Junior College, um, Bernadette Mokadi, to come and read. She had shared her poetry with me, and I thought I had it her in my back pocket. You know, I thought, okay, I want to share her great words with the world. 
So anyway, um, yeah, so that's a little bit of a broad outline, I guess, of how that reading came to be. It's, it was an outgrowth of the writer of an earlier reading in 2017, and um, I hope that we can make it um, a regular event. Oh, I hope so, too. So in, in advance, where can our listeners get information when it, you know, it's approaching, you know, where, where should they keep an eye out for something like this in the future? Well, <laughs> um, I wish I could say that I'm so proud of my fantastic advanced <laughs> marketing skills <laughs> of these sorts of readings, um, but mostly what I tend to do is uh, post an uh, event on Facebook and I email them to people. Um, all, as, um, another important way of spreading poetry news or, or learning about poetry events is to um, go to the uh, Modesto Stanislaus Poetry Center's website, and we have a calendar of events there. And you probably people can probably subscribe to you know an RSS feed or something to find out um, what's happening. We also post our uh, Modesto Stanislaus Poetry Center also posts its events on Meetup.com, so that's another mm. way to find out what's going on. Um, so yeah, Facebook is kind of the main um, channel for getting out the news on this this um, political poetry event that we've done a couple times now. You listeners may have seen most capital M-O, capital S-T, Poetry Center, Modesto Stanislaus Poetry Center, and Stella has been very active with that since its inception. You're listening to KCBP Community Radio, 95.5 FM, and streaming at kcbpradio.org. This is Women of the Valley, and today I'm talking with Stella Baratlas. So going back to the Women's March Modesto, the original march was held in 2017, and I guess the organizers were Shannon Vidi Avila and Elizabeth Souza Hunt. They are also, I guess, the two who began the Stanislaus Progressives. Could you talk a little bit about how that ball got rolling? Well, sure. There's, um, you know, this is, and also this is from my perspective, so there could be a little bit more that I'm, you know, that I'm missing here. But, um, so, <laughs> after the election of Donald Trump in November of 2016, um, you know, we were, lots of local folks were, completely dismayed about, you know, we were shocked that we we did not see that coming, let's put it that way. And so we felt like we wanted to do something. So lots of us were getting together in each other's homes and, you know, brainstorming things that we could do, actions of protest. Um, and I think just processing, you know, the reality of, wow, this is the country we live in. So Shannon, Vidi Avila, and Liz... Elizabeth Souza, now Liz Hunt, um, they they were interested. They they wanted to do something as well, um, and so separately from me, they organized a protest. Um, maybe the day, you know, the morning after the election, they organized a protest in downtown Modesto, right in front of Brendan Theaters, and they found many kindred spirits out there. And so they kind of, you know, um, there was a lot of interest in getting together and figuring out what to do. 
And so they decided to put together a group um, called Stanislaus Progressives. And it things went very quickly, you know, because there was a groundswell of support. And there are, were already um, clubs and, you know, groups that were doing political work in our valley that, and, and I think that, so, you know, the Central Valley Democratic Club and, um, you know, and other Democratic Party groups were um, the Democratic Women's Club of Central, mm -hmm. the Central Valley, which, whose name I'm completely butchering, sorry. They, so, um, you know, so a bunch of people kind of got together, um, spurred on by the energy of Shannon and Liz um, and their protests that they did. And we all met um, together at um, Modesto Bowl in mm. the back room for their first meeting in January 2017. And it was a standing room only crowd. There wow. were so many people there. There was a lot of energy there. There were people there from different groups um, that, and we got, you know, we had little breakout sessions. We figured out, you know, we were trying to figure out, okay, what are we going to, you know, mm. what, what would you like to focus on? So we were trying to kind of divvy up the work. And so out of all of that energy, um, <laughs> at the same time, you know, I was organizing the Writers Resist reading. I'm trying to remember now, maybe the writer's resist had already happened before that first meeting. Uh, anyway, things are kind of, you know, messed up in my memory about the sequence of events. So, yeah, so Shannon um, and Liz were really the prime movers for the first women's march in Modesto. And um, they they were you know, dealing with putting together the route and getting permits and, you know, handling the onslaught of people that were the volunteers, the people that were interested in marching and also helping with it. And so they connected with Patty Hughes of the um, Women's um, Democratic Club and Central Valley Women's Democratic Club. I, I'm going to look this up after the interview <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> kick myself in the head for messing up their no, name. No. And, um, and so, and then other groups joined in um, as support and as resources for the rally at the end. And it was really a great march. It was it huge. Was. So many people turned out. We had a lot of speakers at the end, and one one of whom really sticks out for me, um, the poet um, Alexis Rushing, who now lives in Alaska. Um, she had been um, reading poems about, um, you know, women's issues, and and um, and she was a performance poet, oh. and she read a poem at the Women's March that was fantastic yes. and full of energy. And so anyway, that, that really sticks out for me as well. Um, is there anything else I can tell you about that, that first Women's March, Linda? I just thought it was wonderful. I was so pleased, so surprised, and so energized. I couldn't believe the number who showed up, and it was just like hope suddenly manifest itself here in this area and I think we all were so relieved not to feel alone you know we had one another and we were all bound and determined to do what we could so I'm so grateful to them you've been a member of the League of Women Voters too haven't you 
Yes, I have been a, a member of the League of, Women, League of Women Voters of Stanislaus County. Um, it is a, a group that's near and dear to my heart. Um, and I first got involved in the League of Women Voters when I was a library assistant with Stanislaus County, the Stanislaus County Library System. I worked at the Oakdale branch. And I worked with a librarian named Susan Novak, who was a member of the um, League of Women Voters at the time. And she um, was organized, and she and other people were organizing um, volunteers for the first campaign to pass a sales tax to fund the Stanislaus County Libraries. Mm -hmm. And so she asked, you know, she would ask people that she thought were interested in helping support that, would you like to come and do some phone banking, you know, and some precinct walking and, and help us campaign for the passage mm. of the sales tax. And so I signed up for it. I was game. Um, and this was, gosh, I don't know, maybe about 19, yeah, 20 years ago. ago. And so, you know, I, I took my neighborhood, the precinct in my neighborhood, and, and um, I got involved in, politically in, in that way. So that was uh, my entree into, um, you know, interest in local politics and how things work. Um, and so anyway, I told Susan, wow, if this pass, if this voter, if this sales tax, excuse me, passes then I'm going to join the League of Women Voters. <laughs> and so, you know, what do you know? That, that sales tax passed, and so I had to make good on my word. So I joined the League of Women Voters, and I, that was, you know, that was when I was, I was pregnant with my, it was right before I got pregnant with my daughter, who is now 17 and a half. And so I guess it's been about 18, 19 years that I've been a member of League of Women Voters. Um, I right went, you know, when I was still pregnant with Dini, I went to like a, a state convention in Los Angeles for League of Women Voters. And I've worked in a variety of um, positions on the board, like um, newsletter editor, um, and um, I was... Um, Oh, come on. I think I was a second vice president for a while. <laughs> and now I'm their uh, website, their web mistress, web master, web person. Um, and, and I'm going to be um, involved in, in a legislative interview and also working with some other things. I'm also um, working with the League in partnership with the Civic Engagement Project at Modesto Junior College. And so together we present um, documentaries and events to the community um, to help them be um, more informed voters and participants in civic life. You've been also affiliated with the Friends of the Modesto Library. And I'm also curious how you decided to become a librarian yourself. Well, it's been, <laughs> it's been a long and twisted path to get here. Um, you know, to my job as a librarian. Um, I, I have a degree in English and I love libraries. Um, you know, I became very familiar with my academic library as a graduate student in English Lit. So when I moved back to Modesto after finishing my master's in English, I decided that you know, I was looking for work, and I didn't realize, like, oh, there's not a lot of jobs you can do with oh. a master's in English aside from teach English at Modesto Junior College, which I did do. 
Um, but also, um, I took a job um, as a library assistant at the county library because they were hiring at that time. And I didn't know when I was a library assistant, I didn't realize that you had to have a master's in library and information science hmm. to be a, an official librarian, to hold that position. I just really was, I didn't understand the profession at all. And so um, I thought, oh, okay, well, I guess I'm going to have to go back to school at some point and now get a master's in library science. Anyway, um, I'm trying to fast forward this to talk about the friends of the library. So I eventually found myself, you know, uh, with the opportunity to enroll in library school. And that was an, a, a distance ed program through San Jose State University, which is kind of the main school in Northern California where people go to get their master's degree in library and information science because it is the only one in Northern California that's oh. uh, accredited by the American Library Association. Huh. It was at the time. I think I it still is. So while I was in school um, doing my degree, um, I took um, an internship at the um, Stanislaus County Library so that I could learn, you know, get some practical experience. And... Um, and so I had known about the Friends of the Library group and had been active with the group maybe for a couple of years around that time. And that's just something you, you know, you learn about when you're working on the library sales tax <laughs> campaign. You, you, uh -huh. you learn about this whole other kind of infrastructure of nonprofit organizations that is supporting our public library system. Mm -hmm. And so um, um, while I was in, in um, grad school for my library degree, I had an opportunity <laughs> to be the president of the Friends of the Modesto Library. Um, and now that I've been involved in nonprofits, I know that, you know, whenever a, a new person comes in that's like energetic and interested, you know, the folks that have been, already been working there sometimes for, you know, a decade or more, mm -hmm. The, uh, who you know they're everybody's working full time and like they're and they're doing this as volunteer work and so it's you know you get you get tired sometimes mm -hmm. and you need you need uh, new people coming in so I didn't realize like how <laughs> you know my interest was would suddenly propel me to be the president of the Friends <laughs> of the Library but it was fine it was good um and we increased our membership and we had a great kind of uh, a board um and the directors at the time um Ellen D'Ambrosio Jonica Driscoll um I'm I'm leaving out names um but we had a good group of people that um we found um alternative um revenue streams to support the library and so oh, we were good. able to help fund the um some things in the Modesto ch in the children's department uh -huh. and um yeah so anyway I, I guess I should I could tell you that I mean it's obvious that the public library is I feel it's such a a pillar of our country um and also now after doing this institutional racism in libraries class mm -hmm. um I realized that it's also like a really you know, although it is a hopeful and wonderful institution, it's also problematic, you know, because, oh. you know, the original missions of the library, um, you know, the library was seen as a place where people could become assimilated to American life. Mm -hmm. And so that was a big part of its mission early on is to, um, 
you know, take immigrants and to, you know, to educate them and to, you know, there definitely was a project to Americanize people. And so that's, you know, that's, and we still have that. We carry that with us today. Hmm. And that's being one of the things I love about my profession is that it's, it is now, you know, critically Hmm. interrogating those origins and seeing um, what we can do better but the part of of the library, especially public library um, fashion, that interests me so much is the education aspect yes. and the the critical. You know that we that we support critical thinking mm-hmm. for folks, um, and we support equal access to information, especially in a time when media is being consolidated. Yeah. Media ownership has been consolidated. Um, and we see the effects of this um, with the lack of, you know, and there's not even journalism anymore. I mean, there Sad. is, but, but the money much. for that has dwindled down. Um, and so, you know, independent journalism is on the ropes. Yes. So, you know, library, public libraries are another institution where people can get information, where we we have to make information available, but we also... We also have a responsibility to kind of um, to contextualize that information mm-hmm. as well. That's, I think, the challenge um, right now. Anyway, I think I could go on and on about libraries. <laughs> and I would right love now, it. <laughs> right now, I work as an academic librarian at Modesto Junior College. And um, I help students learn how to, you know, I feel like it's not just helping them to write essays. It's definitely, you know, this is how you can access Credible information. This is how you um, synthesize information that you find from outside sources into your own worldview, mm-hmm. um, and this is how you can um, ethically use outside sources. Mm. And the the information landscape is changing so rapidly yes. that that my job is a never boring. I mean, you know, it's always. Um, a challenge to be in the position of a, a librarian when you have faculty that are subject faculty who are te- you know who have assignments for their students and those subject faculty have their own understanding of what credible mm-hmm. information is mm-hmm. so they'll tell students don't ever use a blog as a source for your academic paper well guess what there are lots of blogs that are written by academics and uh, that are that actually have important information in them that is perfectly acceptable for mm. students to use so um so we're always kind of in this middle space um where we're we're educating not only students but also the people um who are teaching students yeah. as well so you're also Modesto poet laureate you were appointed in 2016, and you are currently serving your second term. I'd love to hear more about that. Well, being Modesto's Poet Laureate, boy, it is so fun. <laughs> I mean, um, what an honor to to serve in this role for my city. Um, it is an honorary position. I mean, it doesn't definitely doesn't come with a paycheck, but that's fine. Um, <laughs> And my responsibilities are to write a poem when I'm asked by the city to commemorate um, an event or an occasion. Um, and, and the other thing that I am responsible for as the city's poet laureate is to contribute a poem to our annual Poets Corner anthology. 
And I also have been, you know, I've emceed it and, um, you know, have served on the committee um, as well while I've been Poet Laureate. And I hope I can continue to do that even afterwards. Um, but yeah, so it's the, the job description is, you know, it's, it's just has those a few things. Write a poem for the Poets Corner uh, anthology and write a poem when you are asked by the city. So I've written a few poems um, that the city has asked me to write. One was um, for the retirement of Brent Sinclair. And um, he was a um, longtime employee in the Economic Development Division, I believe. And so I wrote a poem for him. And it was really neat. It was at his retirement Aww. celebration at the um, yeah at the um, at the museum, McHenry Museum. Oh, nice. So it was a lovely event. And sometimes I think poetry throws people off a little bit <laughs> because well, maybe we it should yeah it, it should. And they just people think that you know poetry as this inaccessible mm. block of words that you know only yeah. other poets can understand. And so um, it's so great that our city has this position of a poet laureate and that poetry is, you know, it's an important um, part of our city's history. You know, the poet laureateship, you know, it's, it's good that we have um, opportunities for poetry to be heard in public spaces. Absolutely. And on the subject of public spaces, I uh, was thrilled when I heard that you have a poem at the Trans Bay Terminal, which recently opened. Oh, please tell us about that. I'd love to. Um, it's an interesting story. So um, the San Francisco Trans Bay Terminal was recently um, rebuilt. You know, they had a very old Trans Bay Terminal building that I guess they, I'm not sure if the new Trans Bay Terminal was built on top of the old one, but it's definitely this big, beautiful, fancy building. And in fact, I think it, they call it the Salesforce, you know, transit center, because there is a corporate sponsorship of it. And mm -hmm. they also maybe have some offices there. So I was contacted um, by a representative of the artist Jenny Holzer, who is a very well-known artist um, who does text-based art. Hmm. And she was had been commissioned by the um, trans the folks that the city of San Francisco, I guess, that was building or the commission that they mm -hmm. had that was building this uh, transit center. She was commissioned to do a permanent art installation there, and she does, um, you know, this scrolling LED hmm. work um, in addition to other works. What was being built in the in this transit center was a scrolling LED um, exhibit, and what was going to scroll were words from poets and writers that were from San Francisco or the San Francisco Bay Area or had to do with the San Francisco Bay Area. And so um, to my delight, you know, I received this email um, asking if they could have permission to use one of my poems that had been published in an anthology um, that was published by <laughs> 16 Rivers Press in 2010 called um, The Place That Inhabits Us, Poems of the San Francisco Bay Watershed. So I had this poem called Patterson Pass. 
and that was um, that was the poem that they wanted to use in the Transbay Terminal. And so, I mean, I was so thrilled. And they even said, you know, we will we have a small honorarium. Ooh. And so I said, dang, forget <laughs> it, I'll pay you. <laughs> I was just so excited that my work would be in a public space like this. So one of the reasons I was so thrilled about it is that um, when I was a young woman, I worked at a record store in San Francisco. I had dropped out of college because I didn't know what I was doing. I moved to Alameda and lived with my grandparents, and I took a bus to <laughs> I took a bus to San Francisco and worked at Tower Records at Columbus and Bay. So um, I spent a lot of time in that Transbay Terminal before it was, you know, huh. in, in the in the mid '80s, mm -hmm. and um, so that was one of the reasons why I was so thrilled that I was asked to contribute a poem to the new Transbay Terminal. Terminal. I thought, okay, that was you know me in that mid '80s, hanging out, waiting for a bus, had just dropped out of college, going to my minimum wage job. Uh -huh. Um, and now this many years later, this is me, you know, having a poem up in the same Transbay terminal. And I just was, you know, it just felt like a really cool mm. circle. But now what something odd that has happened is that, um, people discovered, engineers discovered that one of the main structural beams is, is, um, cracked. Oh my gosh. And so the building has been shut down. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and, no. and so it's been closed for, I believe, a couple of months now. Oh, goodness. And so we like to just joke that that it was the poetry that shut it down. Oh, no. <laughs> I, 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 I had a chance to go there with my daughter to look to, you know, to, to what, before they discovered the defects oh. in the, in the structure. And we sat there for about half an hour waiting for, you know, my poem Patterson Pass to come up, but the the scrolling action happened so slowly, and mm. there were so many other poems already and and works um, of literature already part of the exhibit that I did not see. I didn't get a chance oh. to see my poem um, scroll by. So anyway, um, but when it opens again, I hope that I will be able to catch it. <laughs> I love your book Alkali Sink, which was published by Sixteen Rivers Press in 2015. Please tell us about how you wrote this and um, where it's gone from there. It's hard to say how I wrote the book. Um, really, it's a collection of poems that spans a, um, a pretty wide um, period of time. So from I started writing seriously um, when I when I met Gillian Wegener and joined a writing group um, called the Licensed Fools here in Modesto, which, you know, you were a member <laughs> of and, and lots of people that we know and love. Um, and it's still going, um, although I have not participated recently. So I started writing poetry and was, you know, had a lot of my, my instinct and my writing um, was really affirmed, I guess, by the responses of my fellow writing group members. So I started sending some poems out to get published. And so um, I was writing regularly um, from probably the age of 35 um, up till now. And so I, so the poems in Alkali Sink um, include most of the poems that I wrote early on 
um, in my mid thirties and all the way up to, you know, my forties, um, mid forties. And so I put them all together into a, into a manuscript and I really played around a lot with, um, the structure of the book and I, um, sent it to 16 Rivers Press um, they, during their open submission period, and they accepted my manuscript. Um, and so what that meant was, um, was that I was, if they wanted me, I was <laughs> going to be joining a publishing co-op. Um, so 16 Rivers Press is based in San Francisco. It's a publisher, a, a cooperative, you know, nonprofit that's been together for a long time. It's one of the longest running um, cooperative presses. Was it started by women? It was started, I believe, by all by all women. Yes. So I did join the cooperative and um, you know helped put out the books. Um, worked on various tasks in the press, such as the website and um, marketing and whatever else they needed me to do, um, and attended monthly meetings. Um, and I had a lot of control um, over the um, the look of my book, um, over the final kind of product um, <laughs> that was um, produced. So I, I was accepted. My manuscript was accepted in 2013, and it wasn't it wasn't published until two years later because that's kind of the the publishing schedule of the press. Where can folks get your book? <laughs> so folks can folks can buy my book um, directly from the 16 Rivers Press website, which is 16rivers.org. Um, they can also order it from Small Press Distribution, which is a distributor out of um, Berkeley. Um, and also they can order it from Amazon if they are so inclined. The book, I'm really proud of it. Um, I was nominated for a Northern California Book Award um, in poetry the following year for books that came out in 2015. So I was in amazing company, um, like Gary Snyder, um, uh, Juan Felipe Herrera, oh um, and other folks who had published poetry collections in 2015. And what so, a hard decision. Oh, <laughs> my gosh. I was just happy to even be one of the people, you oh. know, in the list of nominees. So I'm really proud of it. Um, oh, one more place you can, it can is available for purchase is the Great Valley Museum Yay. at Modesto Junior College on the West Campus. So yeah, thanks for asking about that. I'm tr I'm working on a second manuscript right now, and um, I'm hoping to be to have it. Um, I'm, that's what I'm doing this year, basically. Oh, good, so good. I'm hoping, uh, but if it is accepted by the press. Mm -hmm. It will it will be published. It would be published in twenty twenty one. Wow, which seems so, like so incredibly <laughs> futuristic. <far off. laughs> so yeah. Oh, so great. yeah. Thanks for asking about that, oh, Linda. My pleasure. It's just been wonderful talking to you today, Stella. Thank you so much, and for everything you do for our community. Thank you, Linda. Thanks for what you're doing with uh, with this um, Women of the Valley series. This is so great, and I love um, community radio so much. So um, thanks for coming over and uh, braving the sounds of the dog <laughs> today in this She's interview. A <laughs> in this studio, I mean. You've been listening to Women of the Valley on KCBP Community Radio. 
95.5 FM and online at kcbpradio.org. This has been Leah Hassett and Linda Scheller. We hope you'll catch us next time on Women of the Valley. Thanks for listening. Our music is Tin Can Trap by Chad Crouch.